My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a difficult subject, and it will be hard to listen to. It was very hard to see in person. And before we jump into it, you need to know that in Haiti, crime is rampant, particularly recently. For the last two years, it has made the lives of everyday Haitians like hell. Kidnappings, robberies, and violence have destroyed the economy. They've forced almost any Haitians with a visa to leave the country, and any tourism that existed has been squashed as visitors cannot predict when it's safe to travel through Port-au-Prince. As you think about crime, though, in Haiti, you need to remember that it is only a small sect of the population, mostly young men who are not able to find work. The rest of the population, 95% probably, are simply victims. They hate the violence, and they hate that the justice system and police are unable to stop it. And so, frequently, they take matters into their own hands. It was another sunny, hot Haitian day in September. I had just gotten back from a trip to the United States, and we were going up into the mountains to do a mobile clinic. The hour and a half drive up to Bucon Boyer was uneventful. We have to go up the coast and then turn onto a semi-paved road that climbs high into the mountains. After a few miles, you turn onto an even smaller dirt track that bumps up to the community. Once we got to the mountain schoolhouse, there were nearly 100 patients waiting for my colleague and me. Along with the nurses, we laid out the pharmacy, set up a triage table, and got settled into our two doctor stations. We saw the patients quickly. In mobile clinics, at least half the patients are coming for mundane issues. Headache, common cold, dry eyes, etc. But the key is to find the really sick patients. My philosophy is to see the routine patients as quickly as possible so that I have time to spend with the sick ones. We worked over the next several hours in the open-air pavilion until about 3 in the afternoon. We try never to leave after three to give us enough time to get back to the clinic. With the current state of Haiti, you never try to be out after dark. We packed up our pharmacy supplies and loaded them on the top of the Toyota Land Cruiser. There were children hanging back, watching us as we hurried to get along. We packed all our staff into one vehicle, all ten of us. Once everything was secured, we set off down the bumpy mountain again. As we tossed and turned down the dirt track, Towards the road, we saw that a crowd was gathering. Now, I don't love seeing crowds on the road. It usually means that something troubling is happening. Either a pedestrian hit by a car, a protest, maybe a robbery. As we approached, the crowd started walking with our car. We rolled down the window. As soon as we did, you could feel the tension in the air. Our community health worker for the area stuck his head out the window, recognizing someone in the crowd. What's happening, friend? The man replied quickly. We caught two thieves. As soon as you hear those words, you already know the backstory and what is about to happen. When a thief is caught in Haiti, they are generally executed on the spot by the population. And I know this sounds barbaric. I have a very hard time with it. Yet I have lived in Haiti for a year of violence, and even if I don't agree with this, I understand it. Mountains Beyond Mountains is a celebrated book about Haiti. The book begins with a scene between Paul Farmer, a doctor who works in Haiti, and a general in the U.S. Army. It took place during one of the American occupations of Haiti. A government official's decapitated body had just been found in the river. Farmer is arguing with the general that everyone knows who was guilty. It's a local gang leader. Everyone in the region knew that he was behind the crime, but the Americans don't want to charge him because there's no physical evidence. 
Farmer, a famous humanitarian, is arguing with an American general that something has to be done, even if there is no evidence. He continues that American ideas of justice cannot be applied in an environment without a functioning system. And frankly, that's how I feel. Do I agree with extrajudicial killings? No, of course not. But there is not a functioning police and justice system in many parts of the country. Every day, Haitians see their family members shot or threatened. They see the police as sometimes good, sometimes bad, but always underpaid. There are massive backlogs in court cases. According to the UN, some detainees have to wait up to 10 years to get a trial. The jails are overloaded to the point of having no room. To an average Haitian, it's a helpless feeling. There's nothing one can do to protect themselves, their family, and their friends. There is no recourse. I was talking about this with my friend and fellow doctor, Donald. He told me that when he was a child, one of the adults that he knew was driving near his house. Two thieves pulled guns on the man to hijack the car. Unfortunately for them, they had no bullets. And even more unfortunately, the man did. He pulled out his gun, shot one of the thieves, and the other got away. He called ahead to the people in the neighborhood and told them that there was a robber coming their way. The people in the neighborhood caught him, threw him to the ground, and crushed him with cinder blocks. When we hear a disturbing story like that, we have to remember what Haitians mean when they use the word thief. The connotation is not of Jean Valjean stealing a loaf of bread. In Haiti, the image everyone has in their heads is of an armed person who will kidnap or hurt anyone who stops them. I cannot say enough how horrible these criminals have made the lives of everyday Haitians. Most Haitian extended families have at least someone who's been killed. There's not only the direct cost, but there's also an indirect cost. When insecurity gets bad, Haitians cannot go to work, kids cannot go to school. And when Haitians cannot go to work, malnutrition goes up and more children die. I talked with my Creole teacher about this to try and understand the issue. He had also experienced this before, several times. He remembers once that a man was walking at night in his neighborhood. A neighbor started yelling, thief! And he and the rest of the neighborhood spilled out into the street. Now, my friend is a humanitarian and a human rights activist, but his first reaction was to say, kill him. He told me about this, and you could tell that he was ruminating on why this was his first reaction. But when you've dealt with the challenges of insecurity, it is not surprising to see this as a gut reaction. My teacher calmed himself and investigated the situation. It turned out that the man was actually one of his friends, who happened just to be walking through the neighborhood. The problem is that once a crowd gets going, it's hard to stop. Fortunately, he was able to soothe the crowd, and the man was able to escape. Now back in Bucon Boyer, as our car drove along at the speed of the crowd, we heard more of the story. The robbers had stolen a motorcycle, and someone in the community had turned them in. Stealing a motorcycle is often considered a capital offense in Haiti. We broke away from the crowd and drove on. Up ahead was another group of men. As we approached, we saw that one had a butcher knife and was leading two other men. The other men were in their early 20s and tied behind their backs. Blood streamed down their faces. They had clearly just been beaten. The crowd told us that they were leading them to the river to execute them. Briefly, I considered calling the police, putting a stop to the proceedings. But we had no cellular service, and by the time the police came, the men would be dead. Also, as you can imagine, if any of us had tried to stop them, we would likely have found ourselves attacked as well. This was heart-wrenching. As I watched the men, I saw that they were little more than old boys. I know how unemployment in Haiti can push people to crime. When there's no work, 
it's hard to do anything else. And as much as I understood the crowd and understood what led to these feelings, I couldn't help but put myself in the shoes of the criminals. Having just undergone a brutal beating, knowing that you were in the last five minutes of your life, it's hard to imagine. Lest we think we are above this, lest we think that we're better than this, we just need to remember our history. And when I say we, I am talking to Americans and other developed nations who sometimes have a feeling, even if it's not spoken, that we're more advanced. I've read European history, and I see that summary executions were integral to life. During the French Revolution, advocates of the rights of man rapidly sent their compatriots to the guillotine. As you learn about World War II, even aside from the horror of the Holocaust, you see that civilians and prisoners were frequently killed on either side. As you look in our history, Americans had no problem executing criminals, particularly in parts of the country where the justice system was not robust. Think of the Old West, where horse thieves were punished by hanging, no jury trial in sight. Let us also not forget that our first Secretary of the Treasury was shot and killed by a sitting vice president. Unfortunately, violence is a trait we must all reckon with in ourselves. We drove on, and ten minutes after we left the crowd, our community health worker received a call. It was over. The crowd had walked the young men down to the dry riverbed at the base of the mountains. Once there, the population had stoned the two boys to death. Summary justice is not an ideal state. As my Creole teacher saw, mistakes are frequently made. A mob does not have the calm to sit and examine the facts. As soon as someone yells thief, events progress rapidly. This is something that happens when there's no trust in the justice system. It happens when the poor are fed up with violence. And the answer, at least the long-term answer, is not to punish those who are in the mob. The true answer is to have a police force and a justice system that is trusted by all. Thank you for listening. We would like you to know that we are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a fascinating history. And there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you and God bless.